Due to the graphic nature of this material, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. One of the only destructive Buddhist cults, Om Shinrikyo, believed that their leader, Shoko Asahara, was the reincarnation of Shiva, the god of destruction, featured in both Hinduism and Buddhism. They also believed that the United States and Japanese governments were conspiring against them, and they frequently accused the CIA, Jews, and the Japanese government of attacking them with sarin gas. Members of Aum Shinrikyo were capable of horrifying crimes because they believed that Shoko's consciousness was connected to theirs. They followed his orders unquestioningly, believing that their minds were merely extensions of his. Additionally, murder was not considered a crime according to Om Shinrikyo, since killing someone on orders of Shoko simply meant that you were purifying them by absorbing their victim's bad karma and giving them a chance to be reborn, free of impurity. Om Shinrikyo is most infamous for their attack of a Tokyo subway in 1995 with sarin gas, in which 12 people were killed and over 5,000 were injured. Hi, I'm Greg Polson, and this is Cults. Today we're going to be taking a deeper look into one of the most infamous cults in modern history, Om Shinrikyo. I'm here with my co-host, Vanessa Richardson. Hi, everyone. In part one of our two-part series on Om Shinrikyo, we focused on the cult's notorious leader, Shoko Asahara. We uncovered how a poor boy with even poorer vision grew up to become a powerful cult leader who produced large stores of sarin gas, VX, and anthrax in a delusional attempt to destroy the world. By the time of his arrest, Shoko had even planned to develop nuclear weaponry with the help of his Russian associates. Today, we'll learn more about Om Shinrikyo itself and its followers. How did the cult keep members from leaving? And how did they deal with those who challenged them? And how was Shoko Asahara eventually defeated? Before we begin, we'd like to ask a quick favor. Would you leave a five-star review of cults on your favorite podcast directory? It seems so simple, but it really helps us out. And don't forget to subscribe while you're there because a new episode comes out every Tuesday. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and on Twitter at Parcast Network. In 1982, Shoko married his wife, Tomoko Matsumoto, with whom he founded his first failed cult, the Circle of Divine Wizards. In 1987, she co-founded Om Shinrikyo alongside Shoko. Although Tomoko's defense attorneys would later claim that Tomoko was merely a disciple of Shoko, many believed that she had a significant influence on how Shoko ran his cult and contributed to Om Shinrikyo's destructive quality. In part one, we learned that before Shoko founded Om Shinrikyo, he joined Aganshu, a modern offshoot of Buddhism, in 1981. While a member of Aganshu, he met Hisako Ishii, a woman who would become one of his first followers when they left Aganshu together in 1982. Hisako was his minister of finance. She specialized in extorting members and illegal land acquisition. It was through her involvement that Ohm was able to become a billion-dollar empire. Another important figure we mentioned in part one is Majima Terayuki, in 1988, Majima Teruyuki was the first cult member who died as a result of Om Shinrikyo's strict worship practices. Majima suffered a heart attack when he was forcibly immersed in freezing cold water during worship. 
To justify his killing, Shoko claimed that killing committed for the purpose of worship was a benevolent act since the killer absorbed the bad karma of the victim, who then had a better chance in their next life when they were reborn. By 1988, Om Shinrikyo had 3,000 members, all willing to kill in the name of Shoko, but not all of the members were mindless drones. The first person to stand up to Om Shinrikyo was Shuji Taguchi, a cult member who was close friends with Majima Terayuki. Shuji was in the room when Majima died in 1988 and immediately lost faith in Om Shinrikyo. Aware of Shuji's affection for Majima, Shoko immediately had Shuji interrogated under torture. While under torture, Shuji admitted that he was thinking of leaving the cult and confessed a desire to kill Shoko. Interestingly enough, this confession said more about Shoko's paranoia than what Shuji's real intentions were. The use of torture in interrogation is infamous for producing inaccurate information, since interrogation subjects end up telling their interrogators what they want to hear instead of the truth. The most well-known instance of this took place after the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, in which the Japanese tortured an American pilot and asked him how many more bombs the Americans had on hand. Despite the fact that the pilot knew nothing about the bombs, he told his captors that the Americans had 100 more bombs and that the next targets were Tokyo and Kyoto. This prompted the surrender of the Japanese, which may not have otherwise happened. Despite the compromised accuracy of Shuji's confession, in February of 1989, Shoko ordered Hideo Murai, his Minister of Science and Technology, to kill Shuji by strangling him with a rope and with the help of four other disciples. Although Hideo is best known for assassinating dissidents within the OM organization, his main purpose in OM Shinriko was as a scientist. One of his greatest accomplishments for the cult was designing a helmet that was meant to help the wearer align their brain waves with Shoko's. Shoko charged members $10,000 per month for members to rent Hideo's helmets, which helped the organization generate massive revenue. Although Hideo was a well-spoken student of astrophysics who had clear use to Shoko as a scientist, Hideo also had a fascination with the occult and a dark side that Shoko was happy to use to his own purposes. Although Shoko would eventually turn on Hideo, for now Shoko found him useful and made sure Shuji's murder was covered up so that both Hideo and the Ohm organization would be free from suspicion by the police. To further protect his organization from police investigation, Shoko got Ohm Shinrikyo recognized as an official religion in Japan. This was more than a sign of legitimacy. As we mentioned previously in part one, the United States pushed Japanese legislators to pass laws that made it very difficult for Japanese law enforcement to investigate new religions. The purpose of protecting new religions was to undermine the traditional Japanese belief that the emperor was a god. While this was useful for American interests after the end of World War II, the law also enabled Ohm Shinrikyo to carry on illegal activities with impunity. As of 1989, police were powerless to take action against this state-sanctioned religion. But while it was difficult to go after Ohm Shinrikyo with criminal charges, civil charges were another matter. Tsutsumi Sakamoto, a lawyer known for lawsuits against cults, was the next person to join the fight against Ohm Shinrikyo. In October of 1989, Tsutsumi gathered together numerous families who all had grievances with Ohm Shinrikyo. Having amassed over 23 families, Tsutsumi had enough leads and witnesses to be a real threat to Ohm Shinrikyo. With these families, he established the Om Shinrikyo Victims Association. 
Around the same time, Tsutsumi began to pursue a civil case against Om Shinrikyo on behalf of a man who wanted 1 million yen in damages from Shoko because he purchased vials of Shoko Asahara's blood, which supposedly had magical properties. The blood did not have any supernatural effects, so all Tsutsumi had to do was prove that Shoko had fraudulently presented his blood as being magical. Playing off Shoko's pride, Susumi challenged Shoko to send him a blood sample to prove that his blood was different from that of a normal human being. Laboratory results revealed that Shoko's blood did not contain any irregularities. Shoko's desire to prove Tsutsumi wrong is an interesting insight into the cult leader's psychology. While it's clear that Shoko partially sold his blood as a way of cheating his followers out of their hard-earned money, it seems that he may have suffered from delusions of grandeur himself. Otherwise, why else would he so confidently send a blood sample to Tsutsumi if he knew that it would test negative for irregularities? Good point. The results of the blood test were discussed in an interview between Tsutsumi and the Tokyo Broadcasting Network. Tsutsumi's interview revealed Shoko was a fraud by presenting test results to the audience showing that his blood didn't have magical properties. Tsutsumi also revealed the cult's tendency to employ minors and cut them off from their parents. Unfortunately, one of Shoko's associates worked at the Tokyo Broadcasting Network and reported back about Tsutsumi's interview. Shoko immediately sent a team of cult members to the television network. The cult members successfully convinced the network not to air the interview through intimidation. Not long after the 1989 interview, Shoko sent three of his associates to Tsutsumi's office, where they argued with him about whether or not Shoko's blood truly contained magical properties. Tsutsumi pointed out that the laboratory results had proved that Shoko's blood did not contain any irregularities, and therefore it was not any different from the blood of any other human. It was during this meeting that Tsutsumi informed the cult members that he was going to file the lawsuit against Shoko for making false claims about his blood. The timing of Tsutsumi's lawsuit was a strategic decision on his part. Having been recognized as a legitimate religion in April of 1989, Ohm was still within a one-year probationary period during which their status could still be revoked. A successful lawsuit against Ohm Shinrikyo could potentially take away the cult's protection as a recognized religion and open them up to investigation. Tsutsumi's lawsuit looked like it could spell the end of Om Shinrikyo, but for Shoko, the war had just begun. In November of 1989, Shoko had Kiyohide Hayakawa, his minister of construction, prepare to carry out Tsutsumi's assassination. Kiyohide chose his team carefully. Hideo Mirai, who loyally carried out the murder of cult member Shuji Taguchi earlier that year in 1989, was an obvious choice. Hideo may have been the Minister of Science and Technology, but he had no problem getting his hands dirty. The second member of this tactical team was Satoru Hashimoto, a karate master and Shoko's loyal bodyguard. And finally, Kazuaki Okazaki joined as the third member of the team to add additional muscle. All of these cult members had been successfully brainwashed by Shoko into being willing to kill for him. They believed that Shoko was the only path to ultimate truth and the only way to survive the impending apocalypse. On November 4th, 1989, the team staked out Tsutsumi's house, hoping to catch him alone. But his wife and 14-month-old son were always home with him, and eventually the cult members grew tired of waiting. The team entered Tsutsumi's home through an unlocked door. They struck Tsutsumi on the head with a hammer. The blow made him two days to defend himself and his family. The team also savagely beat Tsutsumi's wife to keep her from fighting back. 
Then they injected the baby with potassium chloride, killing the infant quickly. They also injected Tsutsumi and his wife with potassium chloride. Tsutsumi's wife succumbed quickly to the poison, but Tsutsumi clung to life. So the cult members strangled him to death. To prevent identification of the victims, the cult members smashed their teeth and discarded their bodies in the mountains, far apart from one another in different prefectures. Despite the fact that friends and family members of Tsutsumi found an Om Shinrikyo badge at the crime scene, police were unwilling to investigate the murder further. Shoko and the other cult's leaders thought that once again, they'd gotten away with murder. But little did Shoko realize, Tsutsumi's close friend Hiroyuki Nagaoka was about to bravely take over the fight against Ohm. The police may not have been willing to admit that Ohm Shinrikyo was behind the death of his friend, but Hiroyuki had no doubt that Shoko was responsible for the family's death. The badge left at the crime scene was clearly an Ohm badge. Every month after the slaying of his friend Tsutsumi, Hiroyuki visited Tsutsumi's grave to apologize to his friend for failing to bring Shoko to justice. Hiroyuki was determined to avenge Tsutsumi's death. Our story will continue in a moment after a brief message. And now, let's continue our story. Hiroyuki's loyalty to Tsutsumi came from his own past with Om Shinrikyo. Before he died, Tsutsumi worked tirelessly to help Hiroyuki rescue his son from Om Shinrikyo. Although they were not able to rescue Hiroyuki's son, Tsutsumi had instilled in Hiroyuki the undying determination to fight the Om organization. Now with Tsutsumi dead and his own son still in the hands of Om Shinrikyo, Hiroyuki was intent on finishing what his friend had started and made a stand against Shoko. After Tsutsumi's death in November of 1989, Hiroyuki gathered all of the victims of Om Shinrikyo that Tsutsumi had assembled and led them in an all-out war against Shoko. Together, they visited medicinal stores in Japan to gather evidence for a civil suit against Om Shinrikyo. The evidence would prove that the medicinal herbs that Shoko sold to his members for high prices were actually quite cheap. But the suit never went far enough to do real damage since Shoko was eager to fight back. He sent his disciples to Hiroyuki's workplace to harass him. Cult members forced him to quit his job to avoid bringing further trouble to his company. Financially destitute, Hiroyuki was now forced to sell his land to support himself and to cover the costs of fighting Om Shinrikyo. With Hiroyuki on the defensive, Om Shinrikyo pushed forward with their plans for global destruction. Leading the development of biochemical weapons was Seiichi Endo, a veterinarian and grad student of virology. Shoko believed that his background made him the best person for the job and appointed him as the cult's Minister of Health and Welfare. In 1990, Seiichi traveled to the northern island of Hokkaido, near the Tokachi River, to harvest Clostridium botulinum, a bacteria with a toxin so powerful it can paralyze the muscles in the lungs to create instant suffocation. Seiichi grew large batches of this bacteria and built a delivery device to spread the deadly bacteria throughout Tokyo. He outfitted several trucks with nozzles designed to spray the bacteria as a weaponized mist throughout the city. With the death of Tsutsumi Sakamoto and with Hiroyuki struggling to make ends meet, the delusional Shoko thought that this would be his opportunity to start the apocalypse. But as it turned out, Shoko's delusions of grandeur didn't give him the foresight to realize that a veterinarian may not have been the best person to lead a biochemical weapons attack. Seiichi's insufficient knowledge of biology made this mission a failure. 
But Seiichi's failure to create a deadly strain of toxin only made him more determined to find a way to kill large quantities of people. His ambitious nature was terrifying. Seiichi would not rest until he had produced a poison that would wipe out all of mankind. In the same year, two Om Shinrikyo members were arrested in Australia, trying to carry dangerous chemicals on a plane. The two pled guilty, but even this was not enough to prove that the Om organization itself was producing weapons of mass destruction. Meanwhile, another victory had been scored against Om Shinrikyo. Hiroyuki, Tsutsumi's friend, still vowing to avenge his friend's death, had hired a private investigator to find his son, and succeeded in deprogramming and convinced him to leave in 1990. Deprogramming an indoctrinated member of Om Shinrikyo wasn't an easy task. Om Shinrikyo members didn't just have a strong devotion to their leader like most cult followers do. Members of Om Shinrikyo genuinely believed that Shoko's mind was connected to theirs and that his consciousness overlapped with their own. From their perspective, they were not just followers of Shoko's, they were an extension of his mind. To this day, Hiroyuki's son credits his father's tireless and unconditional love with helping him break away from Shoko's influence. According to Hiroyuki's son, most Om Shinrikyo members do not have a family outside of the organization and therefore have no loved ones to go to once they escape. Now, even with Shoko in prison, many Om Shinrikyo members still claim to feel his presence in their minds and believe they're still influenced by his wishes. Recently, many ex-members of Om Shinrikyo have explained why it was so easy to believe Shoko. Many of them assumed that Shoko wasn't really as deranged as he appeared to be. They thought that he was merely pretending to be deranged to test their commitment to the cult. Another example of Shoko's testing appeared when Shoko's driver later gave an interview in which he described instances in which Shoko brazenly violated Om Shinrikyo's laws that forbade people from eating in excess. Shoko would order his driver to secretly drive him to his favorite restaurants. The driver would then watch in horror as Shoko ate obscene amounts of food. When the driver questioned why the master was purposely violating the laws, Shoko claimed that he was merely testing his driver's faith and seeing if he would still stay faithful to the cult even if he saw the leader violating the rules. When other cult members noticed Shoko gaining weight, Shoko claimed that his fat accumulated as a result of absorbing all the karma of people he purified. And by purified, he meant killed. Now free of Shoko's influence, Hiroyuki's son joined the fight against Om Shinrikyo. Together, the father and son team rescued 30 brainwashed followers from Shoko with the help of a lawyer named Taro Takemoto who often helped them negotiate directly with senior cult members to secure the release of lower-level cult members. But Hiroyuki was especially insistent on saving his close friend, Masami Tuchiya, a lead scientist of Om Shinrikyo. Hiroyuki's son, who asked not to be named in an interview with the Japan Times, spent 10 hours a day trying to persuade Masami to escape with him, but to no avail. This decision would later have dire consequences. In 1993, Seiichi, the cult's Minister of Health and Welfare, developed deadly strains of anthrax and sprayed it in large quantities off the roof of an Om Shinrikyo building, hoping that the deadly cloud would kill non-cult members in the surrounding area. To his disappointment, no one was killed or got sick. The only thing it did succeed in was creating a foul-smelling odor that residents reported to the police. 
Impatient to get his apocalypse started, in 1993, Shoko ordered Seiichi to load the anthrax on the same modified trucks that were used to release Clostridium botulinum. Again, nobody died or got sick, to Shoko's disappointment. Later, investigations by the police revealed that Seiichi's anthrax strains were not Volum 1B, the weapon's great anthrax, but a harmless vaccine strain. From Shoko's point of view, these attacks were frustrating. They didn't kill anyone, and they were only drawing suspicion to the cult. After a discussion with several of his scientists, including Hideo Mirai, Shoko switched the focus of weapons development from germs to sarin gas, the same type of nerve gas used in Nazi concentration camps. Later that year, Masami Tsuchiya, the friend of Hiroyuki's son, who he failed to convince to leave the cult, would prove his loyalty to Shoko by producing the first successful batch of sarin gas. During this time, only senior members of Om Shinrikyo like Hideo and Seiichi were aware of the sarin gas production. But during production, cult members who lived in Om Shinrikyo's Mount Fuji compound began to experience symptoms of sarin gas poisoning, including aching eyes, bleeding noses, and blackouts. Shoko dismissed these symptoms, saying that the sarin gas had been released by organizations attempting to harm them. Sometimes he said that the sarin gas was delivered by Japanese Jews, which were rare in Japan, or by the Japanese government. But stranger than his outlandish excuses were the fact that his followers believed him. Many former members now believed that Shoko had purposely released sarin gas on them to affirm the myth that the CIA and the Jews were trying to destroy them. This was another instance in which Shoko seemed to have been self-deluded. It's likely that he may have believed his own stories. Elaborate devices to combat chemical and biological attacks were placed in Shoko's living area, which suggests that Shoko believed his own lies about being attacked with sarin gas. But biological weapons were not the only weaponry Om Shinrikyo was developing. As a cult that desired to end the world, the most logical weapon to develop was a nuclear bomb. Overseeing this effort was Fumihiro Joyu, Shoku's Minister of Foreign Affairs. Fumihiro was the cult's spokesperson to the general public and oversaw all of Om Shinrikyo's partnerships in Russia. He was a debate champion in college, fluent in English, and had movie star good looks. As Om Shinrikyo began to develop nuclear technology, Fumihiro made many trips to Russia to consult military officials on how to build nuclear weapons. Although Om Shinriko never deployed a nuclear weapon successfully, in May of 1993, a nuclear weapons test on an Om testing facility caused some seismic disturbances in the area. Residents even saw a giant fireball light up the sky. But at the time, there wasn't enough evidence to prove that the explosion came from nuclear weapons testing. While most of the world was suspicious of Shoko, no law enforcement agency had enough to go after them. But meanwhile, Shoko potentially possessed nuclear weaponry. Meanwhile, sarin gas poisoning continued on the Kodo compound on Mount Fuji. In June of 1993, several Om Shinrikyo members defected and went to the police to express their suspicions that Shoko was producing poison gas. Some of them who were in the know even told the police that Om Shinrikyo was responsible for the failed anthrax attacks in Tokyo. In the same year, Fumihiro Joyu also purchased a Russian attack helicopter to more effectively dispense sarin gas. In 1994, Shoko ran into some legal trouble. He was trying to build a factory in southern Matsumoto, where 70% of the residents had signed a petition against his construction project. Angered, he decided to use this as an opportunity to test out Masami's sarin gas. 
The day before three judges were going to rule against the cult, Om Shinrikyo attacked the city of Matsumoto with sarin gas. Seven people were killed and more than 150 were injured, including the three judges. Upon hearing the news, Hiroyuki's son was devastated, knowing that his failure to convince Masami to leave the cult had resulted in the deaths of seven innocents. Shoko's choice of using sarin had a lot to do with the fact that Shoko idolized Adolf Hitler. The reason for his idolatry was probably in large part due to the fact that, like Hitler, Shoko harbored intense anti-Semitism, despite the fact that it was unlikely that Shoko met many Jews growing up in Japan. Focusing on sarin made him feel closer to his spiritual mentor. To Shoko, sarin wasn't just a tool, it was something he had a deep emotional connection to. Later, police would find songs Shoko had written to show his love for sarin gas. We actually have a few of the translated lyrics here with us, which are an unsettling insight into Shoko's disturbed nature. Quote, In the peaceful night of Matsumoto City, people can be killed, even with our own hands. The place is full of dead bodies everywhere. There, inhale sarin, prepare sarin, prepare sarin. Immediately, poisonous gas will fill the place. Spray, spray, sarin, brave sarin. End quote. These lyrics were found on a pamphlet during a police raid later that year in 1994. They were the only piece of evidence that connected Om Shinrikyo to the Matsumoto attack. Since Shoko had cleverly disguised the sarin production facilities as temples of worship, which discouraged further investigation. Despite the fact that the song lyrics were practically a written confession that Om Shinrikyo was behind the Matsumoto attack, police didn't feel like they had enough evidence to arrest the leaders of Om Shinrikyo. Nevertheless, the police raid made Shoko nervous. Cornered and afraid, Shoko struck back. Shoko ordered Masami to produce batches of weaponized VX nerve gas. In December of 1994, Shoko sent Tomomitsu Niyimi and another member to kill Tadehito Hamaguchi, who Shoko suspected of spying on the cult. Tadehito fell into a deep coma before dying 10 days later. In January of 1995, Om Shinrikyo's assassins tried to kill their nemesis Hiroyuki and sprayed him with the same VX gas. Hiroyuki only survived because his shirt collar blocked most of the spray. But to this day, he has permanent numbness on his right side and requires an oxygen tube to breathe. Taro Takemoto, the lawyer working with Hiroyuki and his son, attempted to alert the police about the attack. But Japanese police brushed off the incident as Hiroyuki attempting suicide with pesticide and refused to investigate further. Meanwhile, Om Shinrikyo took advantage of the fact that the police were not aware that they had developed VX gas and killed 20 of their members who expressed doubts about staying in the cult. Shoko hid these mass killings by incinerating the bodies with large microwaves and discarding their ashes afterward. But while the police were not aware of the VX attacks, the police did send an undercover officer to investigate Om Shinrikyo's sarin production in the same year. But the undercover officer was quickly discovered and killed by cult members. And since the body was incinerated and the ashes were discarded, there was no evidence linking his disappearance with Om Shinrikyo. As you can tell from Shoko's sarin song, he was gleeful at the successful gassing at Matsumoto. The successful VX attacks only encouraged his confidence. So Shoko moved to the next item on his to-do list, execute a successful attack with biochemical warfare. We'll return to our story in just a moment from the ParCast Network. Now, 
The story continues. It seems strange that Shoko Asahara would try biochemical weapons again, given Seiichi's inability to produce results with anthrax and Clostridium botulinum. But for Shoko, his decision was more rooted in emotion than in logic. In addition to admiring Hitler as a role model, Shoko also regarded Saddam Hussein with the utmost respect. In his mind, Saddam was able to kill large numbers of people with biochemical weapons, so he wanted to emulate the strategy and be more like him. But despite being a fan of Saddam Hussein's, Shoko wasn't very well educated in Hussein's method of warfare. He didn't realize that Hussein's arsenal consisted primarily of sarin gas, not biochemical weaponry. Nevertheless, in May of 1995, the biochemical attack proceeded in accordance to Shoko's orders. But on the day of the attempted attack, the effort was sabotaged by a repentant cult member who replaced the biochemical solution with water. Could it be that the tide was turning? Could Hiroyuki and his allies be winning the fight against Shoko? Back in the Ohm compounds, more and more followers were beginning to lose faith in Shoko. More and more, Shoko was resorting to violence to keep people from leaving. With Hiroyuki, his son, and Taro helping their members escape, and with police closing in on them, Shoko was concerned and wanted to counterattack. Shoko ordered Kiyohide to oversee the production of another batch of sarin gas to be released in the Tokyo subway. Wanting to make sure that this next attack was going to be effective, he asked his personal physician, Tomomasa Nakagawa, to personally prepare the batch of sarin. Ironically, had Shoko chosen a more skilled chemist like Masami, the deaths in the infamous subway attack would have been in the thousands. The day of Om Shinrikyo's notorious subway attack on March 20th, 1995, Shoko appointed his Minister of Healing, Ikuo Hayashi, to lead the effort. Accompanying Ikuo were Kanishi Hirose, Toru Toyota, Masato Yokoyama, and Yasuo Hayashi. This was meant to be a four-pronged attack. Four teams were assigned to four different rail lines to maximize the casualties. The first team, led by Ikuo Hayashi, boarded the Chiyoda line at the first stop. Ikuo wrapped his packet of liquid sarin in newspapers and punctured the packet with a sharp umbrella before exiting the train. Sarin gas filled the entire train car. Instantly, passengers began to choke and collapse, and nobody was able to find the source of the toxic gas until four train stops later, when two brave gas station attendants, Mr. Takahashi and Mr. Hishinuma, noticed the packets leaking gas and sacrificed their own lives by removing the packets and saving the lives of everyone else on the train. On the second rail line, a team led by Kinichi Hirose boarded the northbound JR East Saikyo Line train at Shinjuku Station. Kinichi punctured two packets of sarin after reciting an Om mantra. The train continued with the leaking sarin packets for 14 more stops until station attendant Sumio Nishimura removed the packets. Only one passenger was killed and 358 were injured. On the third rail line, a team led by Masato Yokoyama boarded the Ikebukuro-bound Marunuchi line. After Masato ruptured one of his sarin packets, the train continued for 10 more stops before the sarin packet was removed. The attack had no fatalities, but over 200 people were left seriously ill. On the fourth rail line, a team led by Yasuo Hayashi boarded the northeast-bound Hibiya line and punctured two packets of sarin. The packets only remained on the train for one stop before a passenger kicked it out of the train and onto a subway platform, where four people were killed. 
Survivors of the attack described the entire subway as resembling a war zone with piles of people collapsed in heaps, unconscious, coughing and vomiting. By the end of it all, with all the four attacks combined, 12 people were dead and 5,000 were injured, making this attack the largest terrorist attack ever committed in Japan. But despite the scale of this attack, police were still having trouble uncovering the perpetrators. While the pamphlet they uncovered in 1994 made Aum Shinrikyo a likely culprit, many still believe that Aum Shinrikyo couldn't have possibly developed sarin gas. Although the subway attack was overall a victory for Aum Shinrikyo, the sarin solution that Tomomasa created was diluted. Had it been properly made, the sarin gas would have killed thousands instead of just 12. So Aum Shinrikyo planned another follow-up attack to release concentrated sarin gas over Japan in November of the same year. Again, police were as powerless to stop this attack as they were to stop the subway attack. Luckily, Ikuo Hayashi, one of the leaders of the sarin attack, was arrested for a completely different crime of kidnapping and torturing a notary named Kiyoshi Kariya for information. Kiyoshi's sister had fled the cult after donating hundreds of thousands of dollars to them. Nevertheless, the organization wanted more of her money. At the direction of Ikuo Hayashi, Kiyoshi was injected with barbiturate thiopental to use as a truth serum. But the injection was too strong and Kiyoshi was killed. Upon investigation of the murder, Ikuo was arrested by the police. What started out as simply a murder investigation turned into much more. Ikuo had long become disillusioned with the cult because he felt like Ohm had forced him to compromise his values as a doctor to a degree that he could no longer stand. On top of that, he felt like the lies Shoko spun to manipulate his followers were ridiculous, and even he could no longer believe them. So Ikuo took this opportunity to free himself from Ohm's influence. He not only confessed to the murder, but also to the sarin gas attack. It was a stroke of luck because at the time, police had no reason to connect Ikuo or Ohm Shinrikyo with the subway attacks. Ikuo's confessions contained damning information against Ohm Shinrikyo. Ikuo named all the perpetrators and even inculpated many senior Ohm Shinrikyo members, including Shoko himself. These confessions revealed the locations of multiple Ohm compounds, enabling numerous police raids. Although the police had not yet found Shoko, it would only be a matter of time. In a final desperate attempt to delay his arrest on March 30th, Shoko ordered a low-ranking Ohm member named Mitsuo Sunaoshi to shoot Takaji Kunimatsu, Japan's head of police. Takaji was hit three times, but survived the attack. Eventually, in May of 1995, Shoko Asahara was found in a small, hidden cubicle in the Ohm Shinrikyo headquarters. He was lying in his own urine and surrounded by $100,000 worth of currency. When the police tried to arrest him, he insisted that, quote, no one is allowed to touch the guru's body, end quote. When the police ignored him and explained that he was being arrested for the murder of 12 people in the subway, he replied simply, could a blind man like me possibly do such a thing? When Shoko appeared in court in the same year, he was denied the right of wearing his purple priestly robes to prevent him from appearing like a god to his followers. When he was asked to confirm his name as Chisuo Matsumoto, he refused to be called by any name but Shoko Asahara. When he was asked to plea, he refused to, and instead launched into an explanation of the philosophy of Om Shinrikyo. 
Shoko, despite having the tables turned on him, still suffered from delusions that he was a god. The courts forbade him to wear his normal priestly purple robes, but despite being denied his normal comforts as a god, Shoko continued to participate in strange behaviors in the courtroom. This was very characteristic of Shoko's unique psychology, in which he wasn't just a con man, he also believed his own lies. It would take a lot for Shoko to be convinced that he was just another con man whose life was at the mercy of the state. It was only until he saw his own senior followers testify against him that Shoko's delusions were shattered. Finally, fear took over, and Shoko realized that he had to save his own skin. But his efforts were for nothing. Shoko was sentenced to death by hanging. The trial was a devastating blow to the cult. Members saw Shoko humiliated, defeated, and stripped of his godhood. The senior members they held in such high regard mocked Shoko for the ridiculous claims he made to lower-level members. Even Ikuo Hayashi, Shoko's most trusted follower, yelled at Shoko in the courtroom and criticized him for all of his manipulative tactics. After the trial, Om Shinrikyo lost 80% of its followers. Along with Shoko, many of the senior members also fell quickly. Hisako Ishii, who left Aganshu with Shoko and became Shoko's first disciple, was imprisoned for helping Om Shinrikyo members who participated in the subway gassing. Even though few people were unconvinced by her belated, half-hearted confession and renouncement of Shoko, she was nevertheless released in 2000. Tomoko Asahara, Shoko's wife, renounced Shoko in court, apologized to family members of her victims, and even donated money to them. However, given that much of her wealth came directly from extorting her victims, it was unlikely that her gestures were motivated by anything except self-preservation. Her defense attorneys tried to argue that she was merely a disciple who was indoctrinated by Shoko's mind control techniques. But other members described her as being a partner to Shoko, not a disciple. Some even said that Tomoko had a profound influence in reinforcing Shoko's cruel policies. Nevertheless, Tomoko was sentenced to seven years of prison in 1998, which was reduced to six years, allowing her to be released in 2004. Kiyohide Hayakawa, the construction minister who oversaw all of Ohm's assassinations, was charged with organizing the murder of Tsutsumi and his wife and baby son. Due to his callous ability to organize the multiple brutal murders on behalf of Om Shinrikyo, prosecutors believed that Kiyohide did not possess a single shred of humanity and showed him no mercy when they sentenced him to death by hanging. Kiyohide is still awaiting execution today. Masami Tsuchiya, the friend of Hiroyuki's son and the one who created Om's first successful batch of sarin gas, was sentenced to death. And like Kiyohide, still waits execution. Unlike his other peers, though, he remains faithful to Shoko and refuses to testify against him. The only senior member to escape major indictments was Fumihiro Joyu, who was named the de facto chief of Om Shinrikyo after Shoko's arrest. The court was only able to charge him with fraud, and he was released after three years in prison in 1999, upon which he resumed his position as the leader of Om Shinrikyo. Under Fumihiro's leadership, Am Shinrikyo changed its name to Aleph in January of 2000, did away with many of Am Shinrikyo's more controversial practices, and distanced itself from Shoko. Fumihiro also reached out to victims of Om Shinrikyo and raised money for their families. Regardless, law enforcement officials continue to believe Fumihiro is a threat to society. 
It is because of him that there are approximately 30,000 Om Shinrikyo members still active in Russia. Eventually, Fumihiro started his own splinter group called the Circle of the Rainbow Light, which was raided by PSIA agents in May of 2007. To this day, Shoko Asahara is still alive, awaiting execution. Shoko has attempted to feign mental illness, even going as far as to masturbate in front of his daughter during family visits to sell the illusion of his mental illness. While some are convinced by his act, others, like court-appointed psychiatrist Akira Nishiyama, believe that this is just the latest stunt by Shoko to delay his execution by claiming insanity. His defense lawyer, Takeshi Matsui, however, believes he suffers from prison psychosis, which involves symptoms like hallucinations, incoherent speech, and disorganized behavior. Because of this, Takeshi believes Shoko deserves to be treated so that he can be competent enough to assist his defense in an appeal. Years later, Taro, Hiroyuki, and Hiroyuki's son were asked what they believe should be done to Shoko. Hiroyuki stated his belief that most of the Ohm followers had no sense of right and wrong after going through Shoko's indoctrination, but that Shoko was the only one who was truly evil and should be executed for his crimes. Taro was quoted as saying, Asahara is a man who is 100% full of worldly desires. He has a strong urge for power, and his hatred toward society for not being able to achieve is deep. Executing him is the only way to bring some sort of closure. Today, Hiroyuki, his son, and Taro continue in their fight against Om Shinrikyo. Now known as Aleph, even believing that with Shoko set to be executed, the fight is far from over. Just recently, on November 6, 2017, Aleph was raided after investigations revealed that they were still continuing to extort members. As of 2016, it is believed there are still 1,500 members in Japan alone, and that the cult continues to own multiple yoga studios to draw in new members. Although Aleph claims to have severed ties with its terrorist past, 30,000 active members still remain in Russia, led by Fumihiro, the same man who gave Om Shinrikyo access to weapons of mass destruction. Law enforcement officials still consider Aleph to be a threat to public safety. Thanks again for tuning into Cults. If you want to listen to any previous episodes of Cults, you can find them on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or on our website, parcast.com, spelled P-A-R-C-A-S-T dot com. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review or tell us what you think on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram as at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. It seems simple, but it really helps our show. As always, we thank you for listening. Cults was created by Max Cutler and is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Ron Shapiro, with production assistance by Carrie Murphy. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire, Carly Madden, and Jeanette Manning. Cults is written by Joseph Uren and stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson. 